Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Nick Mehta, the CEO of Gainsight, a customer success technology that helps businesses retain customers and drive growth. Nick joined Gainsight in 2013 and has led the company through multiple funding rounds, raising a total of $156 million. And he's grown the company from a handful of employees to over 700 people around the world. He's also the co-author of Customer Success, How Innovative Companies Are Reducing Churn and Growing Recurring Revenue. In this episode, we talk about the challenges of marketing a new product category where people don't fully understand your product well enough to make an informed buying decision. This is exactly the challenge Nick faced when he joined Gainsight. And he not only talks about his experience, but also shares a simple framework to help other companies in that situation. We also do a customer success 101 session where we talk about how to implement a customer success strategy when you're an early stage SaaS company and how to scale your customer success as your company grows. And Nick shares the common mistakes that SaaS companies make when they start to implement customer success and how you can avoid them. So I hope you enjoy it. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's awesome to be here. So do you have a favorite quote? Something that inspires or motivates you or just gets you out of bed every day? Yeah, if you saw me live right now, I'm in uh, in one of the rooms in our house. I got a poster of Albert Einstein above me, behind me. And it's the same poster I grew up with in my bedroom when I was a kid. So my parents actually saved it from our first house. And I love science and just a very motivating person. He has a great quote that says, not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that can be counted counts. And I think that's, that's important wisdom for us in all aspects of life. There's something about Einstein, like this was a man who like chose words very carefully. And, and when you sort of hear a lot of his quotes, there's like, it's pretty deep stuff. It sounds, it doesn't sound that complicated, but there's pretty deep stuff there. I love that. I totally agree. All right. So for people who aren't familiar, can you just tell us about Gainsight? What does the product do? Who is it for? And what's the main problem that you're helping to solve? Yeah, at Gainsight, we work with uh, businesses with recurring revenue business models, primarily SaaS and cloud businesses. And those businesses realize that you can't just sell customers and move on to the next one. You've got to make sure those customers have onboarded well or adopting your product or getting value and ideally renew and expand. And our value proposition help our customers drive higher renewal rates, better expansion and better advocacy by driving more success for their clients. We, we do that through a suite of products. One we're most famous for is our customer success product for helping customer success teams scale, be more proactive and drive better experience. And then we have a product for product managers to drive better analytics and engagement in the product itself. We have a product for salespeople to drive renewals and expansion. And we have a product for executives to understand the overall experience your customers are having. What's the typical customer look like for you in terms of size of company? We work with a wide range of companies. Um, typically on the low end, they've got you know 50 employees plus or minus in, in kind of a SaaS or subscription model. And on the high end, you know, big, big, big companies like uh, an Adobe or a, a VMware or a you know, Workday and people like that. Okay, great. So we're going to talk about the story of, of Gainsight and you know, what you've been doing there for the last seven or eight years with the team. 
And then I want to spend a little bit of time talking about just customer success and how that can apply both to an early stage startup with maybe, you know, five, 10 people on the team through to as a company grows, what that looks like and, and where it might make sense to, to use Gainsight. So why don't we start by like, just give us kind of a background of what you were doing before you joined Gainsight. Yeah. So I work, I, I've been working about 22 years and um, the early part of my career, I worked in software that was kind of what people called on-premise, meaning you're selling software to a company, they buy it, they pay upfront for the software, just like you buy a physical product. And then they install it on their servers and then they kind of, you know, they use it or don't use it either way you got paid. <laughs> and so in that model, you know, which was the prevalent model for people that weren't kind of, you know, working during that time, you know, companies really focused on building products and selling them, right? That was the two big things that people focused on. I got hired after working in the on-premise software world to run my first SaaS company, first cloud-based company. It's a company called Live Office. I didn't found it, but I joined the company and basically ran it and eventually sold it. And in that process, I learned that when your customers are actually have power to switch, when you're, they're paying you as they go, and when they have multiple choices, you can't just focus on building and selling products. You actually got to make sure they're successful. So I, as a CEO of that last company, I spent a lot of time on things like, are my customers adopting the product? Are they using it well? Are they happy? Are they going to renew with us? Are they advocates? And I realized, wow, there's so much knowledge about how to sell and market and build products, but there was no knowledge. There was no tools around customer success. And so after selling that company, I spent some time as an entrepreneur in residence at a venture firm. And was basically trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And in that process of sort of having a lot of free time on my hands, I ended up meeting a couple of founders that had an idea, the the idea of basically solving the problem I described. And it was very early stage, just kind of a beta product and you know, maybe about $100,000 of sales. But we all just hit it off. And I kind of joined up as part of that original team as a CEO. We raised the Series A from Battery Ventures. And uh, that was February 2013. How big was the size of the team when you joined so we are, we are actually kind of jointly founded in India and the U.S. So we have actually a big team in India. And so in the U.S. is probably three or four people. Uh, I guess probably, yeah, probably four people. And then the India, we had about a dozen people as well. Got it. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the product. What was the state of, you, you said you had some early customers. What was going on there that, number one, kind of got you interested in in joining that team? And then two what were the biggest challenges that you faced like on day one of the job? Yeah. So what made me join was, as I mentioned in my last company, I'd seen that problem firsthand of like how important it is to understand your customers in a recurring revenue business model to make sure they're using your product. And actually in my last company, the only way we did that was just a bunch of spreadsheets, right? Which is probably what a lot of people listening do. And so I'd seen the pain firsthand when I saw the idea, I was like, wow, this is exactly what I want to do. The product was super early. It was really more of a demo. Customers weren't really using it at that point. Kind of, if you've done a startup before, you know those early customers are more like, you know, references to try to help you raise money versus actually using it. Um, the product was just very, very basic, but the idea was sound. And you know, it's the same idea today, right? We we kind of in the early days, if you saw the demo, it was like measure the health of your customers by looking at all the aspects of how they interact with you, from how they use your product to how, how they're interacting with your support team to how you know, your relationship is and things like that. Drive the right actions for your team to kind of get the customers to get more value through what we call playbooks and then kind of give visibility to executive teams of what's happening across all your customers. Those three kind of benefits. Now, the functionality was almost next to nothing compared to what we do now, but the concept was the same then. The other reason I I kind of decided to partner up with our two founders 
is I'm very passionate, and we can talk about later, about company values. And they didn't have the values articulated, but I could tell we were aligned around them. So I came in, and very quickly, we articulated our company values and uh, same values we have today. And in terms of challenges when you started, like, I mean, it sounds like the product kind of had the makings of of a you know potential business or, or, or bigger opportunity. It was kind of the space that you wanted to go after anyway, and something that you personally experienced. But what was kind of the biggest challenge ahead of for you and, and for the founders? Yeah, so the biggest challenge, honestly, it's the same one today, which is you know, there's. I think there are really two approaches to to building a company. One is you take an existing domain of technology, existing problem with technology, and you say, wow, I have a better product to solve that same problem, right? With the probably ultimate example of recent memory is Zoom, right? So there's a lot of video conferencing technologies. There's no doubt about the demand for video conferencing technologies. Most people weren't super happy with theirs. Eric Wan builds a great product and replaces all those other products and you know, and then grows the market even more because of the pandemic. But the reality is it wasn't a question about market. It was a question about product. Snowflake, same thing. No, no question about whether you needed a data warehouse. It was just a question of how you did it. Most businesses, I would argue, are actually reinventing existing categories through better products. Some people refer to that as like a better mousetrap, build a better mousetrap. Every now and then, there's a new category that's created because of some underlying business trend that just didn't exist before, right? That was a concept that didn't really exist before. And so in our case, the category of customer success was one that didn't exist when we launched, right? We People didn't know they need customer success software, but even bigger, they didn't know they needed customer success as a concept or as people in the company. And so our biggest challenge from then to now is we don't have to just sell software. We have to convince people on customer success, right? Now, what's great is over time in the SaaS world, as an example, most people don't have to be convinced on the why of customer success anymore. They have to be explained what the how is, you know, how do you do it? They need to be convinced on why they should invest more in it, why they need technology, why they need gainsight. But, you know, we don't have to convince them on why customer success. But as we expand into other industries, we have to keep paving that road you know, to other industries, to telecommunications, to financial services, to healthcare. Why do you need a customer success approach versus the old model of selling a customer and waiting for them to call you? Yeah. I mean, that's when you're going into a new product category, that, that's kind of a pretty tough situation. Um, number one, like, as you said, you've got to kind of, you're, you're higher up the funnel in terms of explaining to them, like awareness of the problem before they even start thinking about your solution. And secondly, like, you're sort of in a place where nobody is going out and searching for a customer success solution or product. So tell me a little bit about like, what did you do to get past that? How did you find customers and how did you get their attention? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. We had a sense of like what the overall target market was initially, because it was kind of people with SaaS and cloud businesses. So that part was, okay, we have a some universe, it's not the infinite universe, but we have a, a place to focus. What I would give advice to entrepreneurs in general, when you think about those early customers, is I actually find that the early customers of many different vendors are actually similar. And it's because companies and actually individuals and in companies tend to either be early adopters or late adopters. If you've, if you've never read Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore, it's a, it's a great book and talks about this concept that you know, new markets, there's some people that are just naturally early adopters. And those early adopters are motivated, not just because of their business, but because they like being innovators, they like to speak on stage and things like that. And so what I found, and some of this was I knew in, high, in, in the beginning, and some of it's kind of looking at it in hindsight, 
is that our early customers were actually the early customers of other technology vendors too, like a, a Zora or a Box. I'm saying the customers of Zora, customers of Box, customers of Anaplan, customers of you know Salesforce, right? Those companies that were buying those solutions were also buying gains. And so what ended up happening is we had some of those early customers, as an example, one of our first customers of scale was Box. And they basically said, we're going to bet on Gainsight. And you know, it was a very early product, but we'll kind of co-collaborate together. And they, they're an innovative SaaS company. And so we found those innovative SaaS companies that fit in our target market where there were people that are willing to basically co-create with us that wanted to. And one of the ways we did that, which we'll probably talk a little bit about, is by having a community where we focus not just on, hey, we're trying to sell you software, but we actually trying to bring people together. And by nature, the people that show up at your community events tend to be the early adopters. So um, that was our, our sort of algorithm for focusing on it. With a lot of hindsight, it wasn't as clean when we were doing it. What were some of the main objections you were hearing when you were talking to customers at the time? And I assume some of that was just really around answering the why of customer success was that really the main hurdle you needed to overcome? Yeah. So we, we actually, we have a pretty precise way we talk about this internally, which is, you know, I think I'd argue for a lot of companies, their main focus, if you have an existing market, is why you? So like if I'm looking at using a kind of messaging-based collaboration system, why Slack, right? Versus let's say, you know, Microsoft Teams or why Zoom versus WebEx, right? That's mostly, most companies, if it's an existing market, that's like a big part of it. When you have a new market, there's three additional questions that come up. In our case, why customer success? Like, why should I even care about this area? Not just your, your product. Second question, why do I need technology? Like, okay, that's great, but can I just do this in Salesforce? Can I just do this in my custom systems? Why do I need yet another tool to work on this? And then obviously why Gainsight, which everyone has to deal with. And then why now, right? So if it's a new category, there's not a forcing function. You know, if, it, if, if it's an existing category, the customer probably has some software, they've got a renewal, they got to decide if they want to stay with that or go to something else. So those three things of why do anything, why invest in technology for this area, why now, in addition to why you, those are the three additional variables of complexity. I really like those. And, and those three probably apply. There's probably a bunch of people listening to this right now who are saying, I have exactly that problem. And when I go out and talk to customers, I'm hearing exactly those things where they don't necessarily understand what we're trying to do here. Maybe maybe we need, you know we haven't figured out our messaging clearly enough or our value prop. Or maybe I'm in a, like similar to Grant Gainsight, I'm in a new product category where I have to spend a lot more time educating people. So if we take those three questions, just give us your perspective in terms of how you overcame each one of those. And what could somebody who's in a similar situation take away in terms of strategies or, or ideas or just some tips that they could maybe think about addressing those three areas? Yeah, absolutely. And one, one thing I should say up front is I think there's a kind of a, maybe a, the starting point of the focus is like literally which companies you focus on, which personas. And I think that's where Gainsight had a bit of an advantage, which is we had a lot of challenges. We still do, but we knew that we were selling to people with subscription SaaS businesses and we were selling to C people, CSM teams, right? Largely early on, that was where we focused, right? Uh, now it's expanded. And so I think that's the first thing I would say is I hope that you've got, if you're starting and you're selling in some kind of enterprise type model, not just like a self-service, 
I hope you've got some sense of what that target market is. I do talk to a lot of entrepreneurs when I ask them, okay, who's your main you know, industry focus and persona focus? And they're like, well, this is kind of for everyone. And I'm like, I, unless it's a totally self-service product where people just discover it, you know, I don't think, I think that's a hard strategy, a hard road to go down. So let's say start with there. Okay. Now let's go to these questions that I talked about, you know, why? Let me ask you one question before we, we go on. I, I, that's a really good point. And I, I want to just follow up on that and just say, from what you've already said, there were a number of good reasons why SaaS cloud companies were a good target market for solving this type of problem. But just to help kind of clearly lay this out, can you just explain what the hypothesis was in terms of why why these customers? Because I think that that thinking on its own might help people to think about how they can apply that to what they're doing. Great question. So there were probably a few different ways that we looked at that. From a first principles perspective, we said, okay, well, why do you need to worry about customers after you sell them? Well, you know, theoretically, part of it is because the customer has power to do something different. If the customer is stuck, you don't, I mean, as, as we all know from our favorite telco or cable company that you might be stuck with, you know, they don't have to focus on anything after they get you uh, because you're stuck, right? And so, you know, the first thing was, okay, well, if companies in these subscription models, the customers aren't stuck, they're probably going to have to focus on them more. That was one first principle. The second first principle is, okay, to be able to do this and understand how customers are doing, you need to be able to have some data about them. Like, and so in SaaS companies and cloud companies, you have all this data about customers. So that was the second principle that we were playing off of is they have, they have not only the sort of the need to focus on these customers, but they've got the means to the data. Right. So you've got these two different things. And then we've got the early indicator that they were hiring these CSMs. So it was kind of showing up. And you had this sort of like lighthouse effect where the the furthest along SaaS companies were investing in customer success, most notably Salesforce.com. So those four ingredients, you know, people needed to do it. They had the means with the data. They were starting to take the early steps. And and the sort of like the uh, ultimate, ultimate company, Salesforce, was was sort of pretty far along, and everyone is probably going to follow them. And so there's probably some version of that for your business of like, what are those first principles and kind of concepts? What are the early indicators? And maybe what's the lighthouse company in your industry doing that everyone's going to go follow? That's perfect. Great. So thanks for setting setting the scene and the context in terms of how you define that that target customer. So let's yeah, let's continue and let's talk about those three questions that you were going to. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so if you, if I was to give some advice and, you know, on those three kind of questions, which again, were, why is there a problem here all together? Like, why is there something I should even talk about? Why do I need technology to solve that problem? And why do I need to do something now separately from why your, your company specifically? So let's break those three down and, you know, at least how I thought about them. So on the, why is there a problem here at all? This is where positioning and product marketing and messaging comes in so big, right? Like, how do I convince people that there's something that needs to happen that's different? Why is the world changing, right? This is where when you see pitch decks, you, you, you see usually in the beginning, the world is changing. We're going from this to that, right? From purchasing to on-demand or whatever. And so how do you convince people that the world is changing? And this is where one of the lessons we learned, a big part of it is understanding the influencers that people listen to, to decide what's changing, right? So in our case, we're selling largely to I, we talked about SaaS companies, right? So they're either private and owned by venture or PE firms or they're publicly traded, right? That's that's the universe that we're talking about. And so we really focused early on on, you know, venture capitalists and board members and private equity firms and, you know, public investors and why those firms are thinking about things like what's your retention rate? What's your churn? 
and like a lot of content of that very boardroom level stuff. And then we kind of went one click down and said, well, let's talk to like the CEOs and management teams. And so we wrote a lot of content about, you know, CEO's guide to customer success and how CEOs should think about organizing for customer success and why it matters, why it matters to your valuation. And as you probably know, we've then we wrote three books on the topic, uh, most recently customer success economy. And, and basically we kind of focused a lot on why there's a problem here at all. So that, and that's the level that, you know, we needed the, the CEOs and the boards to care about. Cause then, then what they do is they say, well, I better hire a customer success executive, you know, and we did a lot of things like, you know, guide to hiring customer success executive. I, one very tactical thing, which is kind of interesting because the CS profession is, it's a kind of a small world quote unquote. I, yeah, I've ended, ended up meeting almost everyone in the profession. And so when a CEO is looking for somebody, they often come to me. They're looking to hire a CS executive. And I'm, I'm not search firm. We don't make any money off of it. But I've made hundreds and hundreds of connections. And probably my guess is at least 100 that turned into hires. And so helping these CEOs understand the why, how do I bring somebody in? That, that answers that first question, right? So in your own domain, it's, it's who's influencing that there needs to be something different. By the way, other examples of influencers for us are like working with McKinsey, Bain, BCG, because they talk to this, the board room levels as well and helping do kind of thought leadership with them, you know, working with the analysts. In our case, the analysts like Forrester and Gartner were late adopters, so they weren't as important. And now they're a little bit more important. That's kind of bucket one. Why do anything? Got it. Okay. Let me just recap that so make sure I've understood that. So what I heard you say was the, the why you, you really focused on identifying the problems that existed if this doesn't get solved, what they could be doing about that. So it wasn't necessarily, hey, you need to use our product, but if you aren't doing customer success, these are the problems you're having, and this is how you could start to implement something. And then to sort of amplify that, rather than trying to get that message out to the entire market, you got more focused and said, let's find the influencers and let's focus on them as a way to get this message out. You got it. Okay, perfect. Then the second kind of question was, okay, why technology? Nick, you've articulated a business problem. Why is there a need for technology, right? Why isn't this just some meetings I have? I hire an executive, they go figure it out. We do it ourselves. And so that's where you have a different set of influencers, right? It typically is the practitioner. So in our case, the person running customer success, who for us was trying to go fast was trying to not reinvent the wheel. They themselves are learning. They wanted our expertise. And so really marketing to them about you know expertise and best practice and it's built into the product and why reinvent the wheel and stuff like that, right? That was kind of one bucket. And then you got like the people in the company who manage the technology. In a bigger company, that's an IT department and a smaller company, that just could be your operations people. And you know, talking to them about the cost of doing something yourself versus, you know, using a third party, how this integrates with everything you do already, you know, things like that. Those types of thing messages are really important. In our case, you know, Gainsight, hey, we've got, you know, 300 people in R&D. Here's how much effort it would be to reproduce it. By the way, it integrates super tightly with your CRMs like Salesforce already. So you're not taking a step back in terms of integration and, and so on. And so we had to kind of have a message of why technology. Again, not necessarily why Gainsight. It, to that point, we would even write, and we have today, a guide to buying CS technology. You know, you can go to our website and see and what are the steps you should go through and what are the things you should look for. And yeah, admittedly, it's written by us, so there's some bias, but actually, I think you could use it to do a process with any, any vendor. And so that was kind of that second leg, leg of the stool. 
I think that's so important because we, it's so tempting if you want to answer the why technology to start talking about the benefits of features or benefits or the features of your product. And I think that that often lacks authenticity because you're not really telling them why technology, you're, you're answering why us. What you just described in terms of, oh, here's a guide to picking a customer success product. Yeah, it's written by us. But let's just try to be as objective as we can and help you understand and make the right decision. And if at the end of that, you decide, yeah, I want to go with with these guys, that's great. If not, you know, we've, we've still tried to do a reasonably you know, objective job in, in educating you and helping you. That's, that's exactly right. You nailed it. And then I'll quickly do the third one, which is, okay, why now? And that's such a big thing for entrepreneurs. Why now? And I would just say it's hard. It never, it never goes away. It gets easier in numbers because you have more deals. So statistically, people opt into why now. The two lessons I learned that I think are, are actually, you can move it a little bit, not too much, but a little bit. One is quantifying the business value. And actually, I'll give you three things. Quantify the financial value. So what's the financial ROI? You should have your return on investment model that you build on how this software is helping the company. And um, ideally, you almost phrase it like, every day you delay, you're costing yourself X dollars. Right, that's a very powerful argument that you can kind of make to a buyer, assuming it's credible. That's one strategy. A second one is really trying to understand what is on that company's priority list already, independent of you. Because you know, honestly, you don't matter. Like I don't matter. Our company doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things to our customers, and it's just a tool, right? Like it's just one thing. And so, what is on their whiteboard, their list of priorities, their goals for the year, and how do you actually attach this to an existing goal? If you don't know the goals of your customer, if you're a large one, then you're really not deep enough with them. The goals independent of you, not the goals about your software, the goals that they have. And I think if you attach to a goal, it just has more momentum. It's easier to say, why now? Well, why now? Because we want this goal to be achieved. We all agree that this is a company goal and we need the software to help achieve the goal. That's a much more compelling pitch. And then the third thing I would, uh, would do on the why now is we, we talk about internally this idea that is there what we call an I date, which is like needs to be implemented by this point for something going on in their company independent of us? So as a simple example is Gainsight is often launched, not always, but often launched at some kind of you know sales meeting, right? And many companies have like a sales kickoff in the beginning of their year. A conversation I might have with a client is, oh, you want to launch with momentum, right? So I'm guessing you want to launch at your sales kickoff because that's when you have everyone together, your CSMs, your salespeople, right? Oh yeah, that sounds great. Okay, so if you want to launch, then your implementation takes you know four weeks or six weeks or whatever it is. So we need to actually like start implementing by this this date. Okay, and so you build this kind of plan. This salespeople call it like a mutual close plan or a mutual success plan, working backwards from that date that the client needs, not your date, not your close date. But it just so happens that like hopefully that date on when you need to sign is aligned to your quarter or whatever. And so that's a very important tactic. A lot of sophisticated sales organizations do. Those are great tips. I think it's a, it's a great way to think about answering that question about why now. The one thing that I wanted to get your view on is when you are starting out, when you're at an earlier stage, you're trying to close these type of deals, where do you think this thing of potentially discounting the product can come in as a, as a, a way of driving a sense of urgency or answering that why now question? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, so at a high level, be very careful about discounting. If you were trying to build a high value product, you know, so there's two kinds of product at the end of the day, high value or high volume, right? So 
high value products. It's about you're trying to convince them about business value. And um, usually you need to get lots of people bought in and sometimes senior people. And so I believe discounting high value to get products sold at time is not a good idea. Discounting, if you want to be like, if you're selling at a lower level and the, and the budget's constrained, sometimes it's a good way to get your foot in the door, but it's very dangerous because you can actually commoditize your product. And if it's a high volume product, then, then I wouldn't discount. I'd actually just make the pricing cheap in general so that it's just cheap no matter what. So I wouldn't, in a high volume world, you want transparent, cheap pricing that's easy and stuff like that, more Amazon style, right? But if you're in a high value area, I would be very careful about discounting. I might do it but if you have what people would call a disempowered champion that you think is going to be just an amazing champion for you. And this one deal, they're going to help you get it, get out of these other deals. You know, you can talk yourself into it. But what I found in general is you just throw a discount out to get a deal and the deal doesn't happen and you're stuck with that discount the next quarter. Like the, the, you never can roll it back. You never get to say, oh, well, you, you know, you, I promise uh, you said you'd sign with this discount. They don't you never get it back. So it sounds like you did a lot of content marketing to educate the market, potential customers, answer these questions, take them through that process. You also mentioned community and events. So can you tell me a little bit about how did you use those as a way to attract customers? Yeah. So what the biggest observation I have in business is that there's all these people in different roles that on their own in their own companies are kind of on their own, but actually collectively they're they're quite similar across different companies, right? And customer success is an extreme version of that, where you've got this job that's showing up in lots of companies. And actually, when you look at it across the companies, the job's quite similar. But in those companies, it's a new job and it's not sales, it's not marketing, and your know, people don't always get what the job is and, and so on. And so there is an opportunity when you have kind of an underserved buying segment to build a community and to basically get those people together across companies. And actually, it's funny because we've done thousands of events and um, you know, virtual in person, et cetera. We do a big conference every year called Pulse. The first year we did it, 300 people showed up. You know, Last year, 6,000 people in person in San Francisco. This year, we did it virtual. 23,000 people showed up. And um, wow. yes, and, and in those and we've done tons of other events. I just did one last night as a virtual happy hour, a small one, You know, 12 people. And in every event from the beginning to now, I ask people, what, what do they feel leaving these events, these community events? It's this feeling of not being alone, that they're not on their own and that you're connecting them together with peers. And what happens is you build this connection. They are more inspired to go do stuff, right? And hopefully that's helping your own software. They appreciate you for building the community. They trust you. They feel like, okay, this vendor must know a lot about this area. And so it really creates a relationship that's almost irreplaceable. Love that. So let's talk about what is actually involved in implementing customer success. So if I'm I'm listening to this and you know I'm I'm probably not big enough, you know, maybe I have 5, 10 people on my team, so maybe Gainsight isn't quite, you know, there for me yet or a product like that. And maybe I'm not even doing anything with customer success. Maybe it's something I think about in the back of my head. I understand what it is, but you know, I'm not really doing much with it or I don't have anybody dedicated to it. What would be your advice? What What are the steps that that person could take to start to implement some type of customer success strategy? Yeah. So the, I, I think step one, assuming you have it, you're not too far along the curve is 
understanding what's the problem you're trying to solve from a business perspective. And usually there's some combination of the, one of these three problems or more. Number one is you want to keep your customers longer. That's retention. Number two is you want your customers to expand and spend more money. That's expansion. And number three is you want your customers to be bigger fans so that they tell other people and you, know, you get new customers through it. That's advocacy. Those are the three real, at the end of the day, end goals of, of customer success. Now, then let's assume you pick one or more of those. Maybe you want all of them. Uh, then the question is, okay, what are the leading indicators that you think give you a sense that a customer is on the road to achieving those, right? So it could be, you know, they were onboarded well, they adopting the product, they, they're happy with us, they have a good experience with our support, we have a good executive relationship. But there's a lot of different things. You can think about your best clients or your worst ones and what are those things? Okay, great. Now, so that's what we call leading indicators. So you got your kind of desired business outcomes. You got your leading indicators. And now you say, okay, well, what are the activities I need to be doing to drive those leading indicators? It could be, you know, in the product, a built-in wizard to onboard people better. It could be like a high-touch onboarding service. It could be better executive check-ins with customers. And then from that, those activities, then you say, okay, well, let's look at the organization today. Maybe I have some salespeople, I have some engineers. You know, can we do all that with the existing org? Do we need a customer success team? Usually the answer is yes. And you need a customer success team, but not always. And, you know, what's that customer success team's responsibility? What do they need to do? How do we measure them? You know, we've written some books on the topic that can give you kind of a starter on all this stuff. Customer success economy kind of walks through a lot of this. And then from there, you start thinking about things like, okay, how do I scale this? And how do I get more proactive? And how do I get more data-driven? And, you know, you know over time, things like Gainsight technology can help. But that's kind of the rough like outline of how I'd approach it. What do you think are some of the main mistakes that you see companies making when they're trying to implement something like this? Yeah. So, so number one is just like throwing people at it. So just hiring a bunch of people and kind of saying, hey, go talk to the customers and let's go figure it out versus approaching it a little more scientifically. It's kind of like when you build your first sales team. And then you're later on, you're like, oh, we should have been tracking like the stages of the deals and, you know, what people are doing and, you know, did the demo convert to a deal? And so approaching it, not, not scientifically enough. I think you really should approach it a little bit like you might be approaching sales and marketing. It's number one. Number two is not getting a definition of what the customer, what the C, if you build a CS team, what value they're adding for the customer. Cause for you, you know, maybe you're trying to retain the customers or, you know, expand them or whatever. What value adding for the customer? You know, am I, is a CSM really technical in helping the customer with the product? Did they come out of the same domain the customer's in? You know, maybe you're selling HR software and your CSMs have been HR professionals, right? Are the CSMs like great project managers? Are they very consultative? Really having a profile for what value the CSM is adding to the customer so you can build like a hiring profile. That's a second mistake people make. And then a third mistake is not figuring out how to scale it. So that you build an uneconomical model where everything is very manual. Those are the three most common mistakes. Perfect. Okay, let's take that upper level. And if somebody is sort of beyond that and they're saying, okay, well, yeah, I, like, I, I'm ready for something, something like a Gainsight. What are some of the questions that they should be sort of thinking about to help them make the right decision about what type of product they should use. Absolutely. Yeah. There's six business challenges our customers have usually wrestled with, which led them to technology decisions. And by the way, what I'd recommend if you're thinking about your own business is you should be able to articulate the answer to your question in, in a way like I'm going to say, 
because you should get to the point where you can really say, okay, these are the reasons people buy versus a much more generic kind of version of that, right? So, so we have these six, we call them the six pains, the six things that people wrestle with. So number one is retention. So, you know, do you feel like you are sometimes surprised that customers are leaving you? You know, given this new world of data and sort of like understanding of customers, you should never be surprised. It's not like you should never have customers leave you. The question is, are you surprised or not? And that's something that you can totally get ahead of through technology and also process. Number two, do you feel like you're getting your customers to adopt your products, not just like at an aggregate level, but like actually fully adopt all the functionality, the new releases, things like that? Uh, Number three, do you feel like you don't always understand everything happening about your customers? Like different people are talking to them in the company and you don't have a full picture of what's going on. They call that visibility. Number four, do you feel like you're having to throw people at the problem? You haven't figured out how you can scale and be more efficient and you know, and kind of like automate and things like that. Number five, do your customers have a great end-to-end experience with you or do they feel like the left hand and right hand aren't, aren't talking to each other? And number six, do you feel like you're under-optimizing the ability to expand your customers to sell them more? And so those six things are kind of the litmus test for when we think you need technology. And obviously we have a bias that you think you need gain sight. That's kind of how we would help a customer diagnose where they're at. And just as an example, and you could do this for your business, we built like a maturity assessment. So you can go online and take a test and say, how mature are you on those eight areas? And whether you work with Gainsight or not, it can be helpful. But for us, it helps us tailor our message to you then. I love how you went through so much complexity and pains in six relatively simple questions pretty quickly. And I think that that's not only is, is something that is helpful if somebody's thinking about you know, customer success solution. But as you said, this is a great lesson here for anybody thinking about how do you go and have that conversation with customers. And, and what I really liked about here was what you've really done is you've, you've identified like the top six pains that your target customers are likely to have. And then sort of the way you've articulated in terms of asking those questions is like, you know, there's going to be a lot of alarm bells going off. Like just, oh my God, yeah, I, that. I didn't even, we don't even think about that that much. But yeah, that's, that's been a major problem for us in the past. And I think that on its own is a great way to help them move to the next stage in terms of the, the buying process. And in many ways, it can also be a good way to sort of qualify or disqualify the customers, right? Because if people are saying, no, 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 okay, well, you don't need to waste more time talking to them. That's it. You nailed it. Nailed it. Love it. All right. You know, I feel like we could just like you've covered so much stuff here and we could keep talking for for hours and and uh, I could just keep making tons of <laughs> notes here. Or better, we could probably just get your book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Love that. All right, but we should um, we should wrap up. So I'm gonna go into the the lightning round Great. and gonna ask you seven quick fire questions. So you ready to go? I'm ready to go. Excited. All right. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? My uh, first boss, a guy named Mike Spizer, um, who's actually now the, the first investor at Snowflake. So he's become well-known. I was, I was a product manager at a company and I was kind of very focused on just being inside the company. He said, take a day once a week and go meet somebody outside the company and go get to know the world outside of our business and build your network. And that definitely led to making many connections over time. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? I, I'm a big reader. I read a ton. I love books. One I love recently that I think is, is very powerful is Shoe Dog. Um, some of you probably read it. It's about the story of Nike and it's inspirational in terms of what we, we think 
it was just so easy. In hindsight, it was actually so hard. It's very inspirational. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Self-awareness, understanding who you are and what type of approach works for you, not just what type of approach works for other leaders. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? I have a very strange habit, which is um, I, I, I really like disconnecting on the weekends and and not feeling connected to work, but also like feeling really connected to my family and things outside of work. So I actually go onto my iPhone, I delete all the work apps every Friday night, and I go into email and disable it. So I don't even have the temptation to check anything because it's not possible. Wow. And I reset reset it up on Sunday. Very inefficient. (laughs) (laughs) What's the new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? This is such a challenging time for the world, but it's the world is being reinvented. I'm in the camp of like most of these changes are not temporary, they're permanent. And so I think that in this world of like, how do you replicate some of the feeling of the office and serendipity in the office in a virtual world? There is so much to do there. Um, so I think there's opportunities abound. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? I am extremely nerdily obsessed with rewriting songs. Uh, Some people know this, but not all. Uh, I have this weird thing where I can take any song and very quickly rewrite it. And I've rewritten dozens and dozens and dozens of songs, including many on YouTube now that we've done, like, you know, rewriting Taylor Swift for customer success, make your rap song about it, things like that. So I have something weird in my brain where I can take legitimately creative work and destroy it by rewriting it into a parody. (laughs) I love it. And finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? Again, another weird thing. I am, uh, you know, going back to Einstein, where we started the the meeting, I I do love science. I'm kind of obsessed with it. And so I, at night, I I read things like um, analyses of quantum mechanics, analyses of what consciousness is, history of the theory of what infinity is. So the world of science and math, I'm just obsessed. I love it. And we didn't even get down to uh, Hogwarts and all that stuff, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, next time, next time. Yeah, we'll talk about next time. It's, it's not an inside joke. It's just I, I, I watched a video of Nick wearing a Hogwarts sweatshirt and uh, it led to uh, all kinds of conversations. Great. Well, thank you for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I feel like we covered so much in, in a relatively short space of time. If uh, people want to check out the book, it's The Customer Success Economy why every aspect of your business model needs a paradigm shift. That's, that's I think, your, your third book? That's our third book. Yeah, exactly. Third book. So you can go and check that out. If you want to go and check out Gainsight, go to gainsight.com. And if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I find me on Twitter, N-R-M-E-H-T-A, or on LinkedIn, Nick Meta. Awesome. Nick, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Wish you all the best. Same here. Thanks so much. Cheers.